Word of God for our consideration this morning comes to us from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, beginning at verse 14. Indeed, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery so that you are afraid again, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we call out Abba, Father. The Spirit himself joins our spirit in testifying that we are God's children. Now if we are children, we are also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, since we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. We pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, children of our triune God, Every year, the first Sunday after Pentecost, we set aside this Sunday to marvel at the mystery and the majesty of the Holy Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity is one of those heavenly things that Jesus referred to in our Gospel reading. One of the things that Paul refers to in his letter to the Corinthians as something that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind could possibly conceive of. Even in a, a systematic confession of the Trinity, like we'll use in a few minutes in the Athanasian Creed, we are not seeking to explain the Trinity, but rather simply to lay out what the Bible says about the one true God. No more and no less. And we must leave the, the mystery of the essence of the Trinity where it belongs that is far, far from our ability to comprehend. Now, a person might ask, if that's true, then why waste an entire Sunday on something that we can't understand or comprehend? You might ask, who am I to stand up here as a sinful human being just like you and pretend to write a sermon about something I don't understand? Well, I'll let you in on a secret. This isn't really my sermon. This sermon was written by the Apostle Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's really the Holy Spirit's sermon revealing to us truths about the Trinity that we could never understand. And through the Apostle Paul, he helps us to rather than try to approach or grasp in the essence of the Trinity, which is something that we could never grasp or understand, he leads us to understand the Trinity in regard to our relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In simpler terms, through the Apostle Paul, he helps us to look at the Trinity through the eyes of a child. Now, do children understand the, the complexities and the, the interwoven nature of the families into which they are born? Do they understand shortly after birth how, how mom and dad got together, how they started dating? Do they comprehend what, what the wedding was like? Do they know what it means to have a second cousin once removed? Do they, do they understand what their parents know, what their parents are capable of, what their parents have accomplished, how their parents, long before they were ever born, were, were thinking about them and praying about them and, and, and getting the nursery ready for them and, and, and thinking about what their life is going to be like? Children don't understand any of that about their parents, do they? 
at least not until they grow older. But there's one thing that children do understand, and they understand this quite quickly, that there are two people in particular who are there when they're crying, when they need their diaper changed, when they need to be bathed or fed. There are two people who are always there when they cry out for help. Two people who are always working for their best. Two people who will always be there for them. That's what they understand. They understand the relational dynamic, even if they don't understand what the essence is of these two people, these two strangers that, they, that have brought them into this world. And, and, and maybe that, that small understanding that a child can have of his parents and his family is about all that we can have of the Holy Trinity. If we understand it in terms of family, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work in unison, they work together with the goal of making us part of their family. Part of their family not by marriage and not by birth, but by adoption, as Paul says. Now when you and I think of adoption, we generally think of the adoption of infants or, or small children, but in the, the culture of Rome in which Paul was living, and still today in many cultures around the world, the adoption of adults is, is fairly frequent. One example is in Japan. Uh, with the, the small birth rate in Japan, uh, business owners, even large business owners, often lack a son to follow them as the leader of the, the business. And so they will adopt an adult son to take over for them. And that functions to serve, to keep the, the business in the family name, even if there is no biological son who is capable or if there's no biological son at all. In the year 2011, there were 81,000 adoptions in Japan, and 90% of those were of adult people. One of the businesses that you may have heard of that, that has done this for, I think, four generations now is the Suzuki business. Uh, they've adopted adult sons to run the family business, to keep it within the family. And if, imagine if you were adopted as an adult you would understand that the new privileges, the new responsibilities, the new blessings that you have are directly a result of that gift, that you didn't earn or deserve them, but the fact that someone else adopted you has given you these privileges. You would understand what grace means if you were adopted as an adult. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul tells us that we have certain privileges that there are changes that take place in our life because God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has adopted us into his family. He says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You can know that you are a son of God, a child of God, if you are led by the Spirit, rather than being led by the devil and the world out there. So are you, are you led by the Spirit? How do you know? Well, consider this. It's a beautiful day out there. In the middle of a long Memorial Day weekend, there are a million different things you could be doing right now, and yet you're here. Why? Why did you choose worship when you could have chosen so many other things to be doing on a beautiful Memorial Day weekend? Because of the Spirit. You're led 
by the Spirit. I didn't come to your door and twist your arm. I didn't force you into the car and make you come here. You chose that freely because the Spirit was leading you. And that, that happens more often than I think we, we realize. Every time we say no to sin, even the sins that appeal to our flesh, and say yes to righteousness, that's evidence that the Holy Spirit is leading us, that He is living and active within us. Why do you begin and end every day with prayer? Why, when you sit down for a meal, do you thank God for that, even though you're the one who paid for it and worked for it? Why do you have family devotions? Why do you put the needs of others in front of your own? Why do you work diligently, even though you could very well slack off? That is the Spirit's leading. That is the Spirit leading your will to be aligned again with the will of God. That's the renewal that the Holy Spirit works within you. How does the Holy Spirit do that leading? Is it like a GPS in your car? He just shows you where to, where to go and what to do? Does he, does he whisper in your ear? Does he appear to you in the middle of a night in a vision? No. Remember, we're talking about a family here. How did, when you were a child, how did your parents train you and lead you? Now, admittedly, there may have been, if your family was like mine, there may have been a little physical education along the way, but in general, our parents lead us through their words, right? I mean, why haven't we all jumped off a bridge already? Isn't it because our mom drilled into us, you do not jump off bridges even if everyone else is doing it, right? That's why we're still here and haven't jumped off a bridge. Leading through words. That's how the Holy Spirit leads us too. He leads us through the Word. He leads us through God's Word. This is not just some man-made book full of fairy tales. As the Apostle Peter says in his second letter, no prophecy ever came by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were being carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through His Word. That's how He leads us. And the fact that you are here, and I, I imagine you came here fully intending to be led by the Spirit through the Word of God, that's proof, that's evidence for you that you are a son. Whether you're a man or a woman, you are a son of God. And what that means is that you have access to all of the privileges reserved for sons of God. The privileges of sonship. And the first privilege that I, I hope you're aware of and that you, you treasure is that your relationship with God has, has changed. Paul says, you did not receive a spirit of slavery so that you are afraid again. What is that? Why would we be afraid of God? I wonder if you would take a poll of people on the street, how many people would say, how do you feel about God? And they would say, I, I'm afraid of him. Why would we be afraid of him? Well, Paul, Paul says the blame falls on a spirit of slavery. What is that? What is a spirit of slavery? Well, whether we recognize it or not, that's the religion that every one of us were born into. It's called work righteousness. It's the idea that if we're going to be saved, if we're going to be right with God, it's up to us by our good works, by our obedience, to make ourselves right with God. Well, if that's true, and you look at your own life, how are you feeling right now knowing that you are in the presence of a holy and righteous God, knowing that you have come here willingly to stand before the throne of God and to be judged by Him? 
How could you not be afraid? How could you not be like Isaiah and say, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. How could you not think, I'm going to be destroyed for sure the moment I walk through those doors? How could you not feel like a slave? That you are enslaved to a law that you can't hope to keep, that you've never kept in your life, to a God that you can never satisfy. That's the spirit of slavery. That is mankind's natural religion and natural position. But Paul says that the Holy Spirit leads us in a totally different direction. He says, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we call out Abba, Father. There's something else children learn very quickly, right? Even if we wish they wouldn't. They learn almost immediately that they don't need to make an appointment to meet with their parents. They don't... uh, they don't double-check and make sure 2 a.m. is a good time to get mom and dad out of bed, do they? They don't, they don't have a filter, right? They will ask for literally anything. No matter how dumb it may seem from the position of their parents, they will ask for anything and they will be confident in asking. They will be confident because they know that even though they don't understand the essence of mom and dad, what, what are they really? What's that connection between them? They know that mom and dad love them. And we'll give them what is best for them. And that's, that's the change. Rather than being slaves who are afraid of God, we can come to God as children come to their parents, knowing that God loves us and is merciful towards us and will give us only what is best for us. Luther summed it up in his explanation of the address of the Lord's Prayer. We can come to God just as dear children come to their dear fathers. What a... What a change in in relationship with God our Father. He calls us children, not enemies, not slaves. But that is a privilege. And it's a privilege reserved only for those who believe in Jesus as their Savior. The Bible makes it clear, not everyone has that privilege. Not everyone can say, as we will in a few minutes, our Father. The Bible makes it clear that God is deaf. He closes his ears to unbelievers. Now, why would that be? Because only believers really know how much God loves them. Only believers can, can know and understand how merciful our Father is to us. Just think of this. Before the creation of the world, God knew you. And he chose you. You were born of a mother and a father, but God is the one who knit you, stitched you together in your mother's womb. Long before you were born, God sent His Son Jesus to die on a cross and suffer for your sins, even when you were still His enemy, knowing that you would live your entire life in rebellion to Him, hating Him, disobeying Him. He still did it anyway. That's how much God loves us. And an unbeliever can never grasp that about God. An unbeliever will revert back to being afraid of God and thinking of God as a slave master. But you know better. You know that God has orchestrated everything in this world, everything in history, for your good so that one day He could take you to heaven to live with Him forever. So that we can, we can, we can look at the Holy Trinity this mysterious and majestic God that we have that we can never grasp, but we can be confident in coming to Him and calling Him Dad, Abba, 
Father. But the Holy Spirit's work isn't done there. Paul says the Spirit himself joins our spirit in testifying that we are God's children. At one time or another, we all have to ask that question, right? Am I really a child of God? And when do we ask that question? I think basically two occasions, right? The first is when we do something terrible. When guilt and shame wash over us. When we think there's no way God would ever recognize me as his child after what I've done. The other might be when something tragic happens in our lives, when there's a crisis, when there's turmoil, when there's sadness, when we lose someone, when we have a sickness that doesn't seem like it's ever going to get better. It seems at those times like God has abandoned us. How do you respond in those situations? When it feels like you are anything but a child of God. Sometimes you can say, I know better. I know that I love Jesus. I know that I trust in God as my Father. I know I'm His child. And that's good when you can do that. That, that means, as Paul says, the Spirit is working with you in your heart. But sometimes self-assurance isn't, isn't enough. Sometimes you need something objective. And remember, we're talking about a family situation here, right? What proof do you have that you are a child of your parents? You have the birth certificate that proves, is verified by the state, you are a child of, of so-and-so, a mother and a father. And in the same way, when we're in turmoil, when life is hard, when we've done something terrible, the Holy Spirit takes us back to that baptismal font, which is our spiritual birth certificate, and says, there God made you his child and nothing can change that. Nothing you have done, nothing that has happened in your life, can change the fact that God has claimed you as his own from the moment you are baptized until the moment you take your very last breath. Sometimes you need more, though. Satan and your conscience accuse you and say, God could never love someone like you after what you've done. And then the Holy Spirit sends men to stand here and to proclaim that your sins have been forgiven, absolved, removed from God's memory forever. Sometimes maybe you look around at your fellow members and you have this, this fanciful imagination that they're so much better than you are, that they really belong to God and, and you never could, in a way that you never could. And then Jesus himself comes to you in, in and with the, the bread and the wine, with his true body and blood, and he assures you, you are as legitimate a child of God through re receiving that body and blood as Jesus himself is. Trinity makes us family. We're led by the Spirit. The God of the universe calls us His children. And there's one more blessing that we have as part of the Trinity's family. Now, if we are children, we are also heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, since we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. By using that term, heir, Paul's bringing up something that I think most of us would rather not talk about. That's writing a last will and testament. That's no fun to do, right? To think about who will take responsibility for your kids if something tragic were to happen to you. To think of who's going to get your possessions after you are, have resumed room temperature and are buried six feet underground. That's not very much fun to think of. But at the same time, if you have a rich uncle who dies... You may be very interested to see if you've been written into his will. 
Paul tells us here that we have something even better than a rich uncle. We have God Himself who has written us into His will. And, and He hasn't just given us the scraps. He hasn't given us like a, a storage unit full of dusty old knickknacks. He says He's given us an equal position in His will as He gives to Christ Himself, that we are co-heirs with Christ. Think of it in terms of banking. If you have a joint bank account, that means you have access to everything that's in that account. We have access to everything that Jesus does. Everything that Jesus can call His, we can call ours as well. His perfect life. His ascension into glory. His home in His Father's mansion, those are ours as well. And the best part is we didn't have to spend a single minute in this life working to fill up that bank account. Jesus, our brother, did it all. By his death, by his suffering, by his resurrection, by his ascension, he has won all of the riches of the God of the universe for us. So that even though right now we suffer, we suffer with him, we can be sure that one day we will be glorified just like him too. The Trinity is a mystery. It will never be any closer than, than what Scripture says to us, what Scripture reveals to us. But that's okay. We can be comfortable with something we don't understand because Paul says the Trinity makes us family. And our position in that family is sure. Even though everything else in this world is uncertain, our position in God's family is certain. The Spirit leads us. The Father calls us as children. We are co-heirs with Christ. What more can we say? Except how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of the triune God. And that is what we are. Amen.